Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, joined by Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from Dave Poulin, the former NHLer and now a TSN analyst. But first, Ted, Patrick Kane's debut the other night, a wild game. The Wings had that 4 nothing lead. Then it was 4-4. Eight goals in one period. And then in the third period, Kane was all alone with a game on a stick and he hit the post. He wound up with three shots and 1633 of ice time. So what did you make of that game, which the Sharks won 6-5 in overtime? And how about Kane's debut, Ted? I don't know about you, Mark, but I was impressed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought he was moving fairly well. He the hands seemed to be there. Uh, it really gives you reason for a pause boy if if he comes as close to what he was just a couple years ago mm -hmm. it's really going to positively impact this hockey team and he looked like he could be capable of some you know an 80 i mean just prorate an 80 or 90 point season i mean he looked i thought i was impressed how about you i mean i know you were at the game I thought he moved fairly well, and I definitely had chances. He created chances, too. Ted, he certainly sees the game at a different level, doesn't right. he? A couple times, you saw him button-hooking and circling. You could almost see him asking for the puck and the, the movement mm -hmm. inside the offensive zone. You could see the other players like Larkin and Debrinkit. They all know how to play off him and Sider and Sherratt. Certainly, his, uh, his level of understanding and his ability to articulate the game, Ted, you hear him talk about like seam passes and talking mm -hmm. to Lalonde about what system you play. And he's not the greatest defensive player, but he does skate well. He does get back into his own zone. But it was exciting, wasn't it, that night? The press box you know, was Mark, You're right. You're absolutely right. It was, I was telling that to a few people. It felt like the old days back mm -hmm. at Joe Lewis when, you know, one, one of those Hall of Famers they always signed or acquired or whatnot. And it just invigorated the whole place. And I definitely had that feeling Thursday night. And that was, you know what? That's fun. Yeah, I think we, I think a lot of Wings fans miss that feeling. Let's hear now from Steve Eiserman. And here's what he had to say about adding Patrick Kane to the lineup and the team's odds of making the playoffs for the first time in eight years. Our hope is I, I have some reason to believe that, you know, based prior to signing Patrick Kane, that we're kind of, we're going to hang around if we're healthy, um, if we can stay healthy, and if our goaltending holds up. I hate to always put it on the goaltenders, but um, if, if we can hold up, uh, I think we're, we can compete for a playoff spot. You know, you look at you look at our, our conference and our division, um, I think we're, you know, if, if uh, again, it goes for every team. If you stay healthy, if your goaltending's good, you're going to be in the mix. And uh uh, we think we're we have a chance to be in the mix, uh, and with a healthy Patrick Kane, um, uh, that gives us a better chance. So yeah, it's you know we're at that point point where we're we're not you know, and maybe that started somewhere last year where we're not looking to what the the draft odds are more that they were trying to. Uh, um, trying to see if we can't, you know, stay in the hunt a little bit. And we were close to it last year at the deadline, but fell off. And, uh, you know, today we're hoping we can kind of hang in the hunt here and if anything, become a better hockey team. Ted, what do you think the team's odds of making the playoffs are now with Patrick Kane in the lineup? We're at the one quarter mark of the season, roughly. There's still 
four months left, lots of hockey, 57 games. But as of today, Saturday, with the Wings preparing to play the Senators tonight here at Little Caesars Arena, Detroit is third in the Atlantic at 14, 7, and 4. That's seven games over 500, tying for the most games over 500 since Steve Eiserman took over in 2019. The Vegas odds makers have the odds of the Wings making the playoffs right now. It was about 30%. It's up to 70%. And Ted, the odds of winning the cup, 3%. Dallas has the best odds at 10%. But can you believe it, though? They're even talking about winning the cup. They would have to beat teams like Boston, Toronto, the Rangers, and maybe the Golden Knights. But what do you think about those odds? Frankly, I'm not that surprised, Mark. Wouldn't Mm -hmm. you? Would you really be shocked? Or let's put, I don't know how to phrase it. I mean, would you be that surprised if the wings defeated Boston in a seven game series? I wouldn't be. They have more depth than the Bruins do. Bruins might have more elite players, but I think the Red Wings have more depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, as it's unfolding, Mark, I I can see that. I think it'd be a disappointment or a mild surprise at this point if they didn't make the playoffs. Would, would you agree? Think about the beginning of the season. Neither of us really thought that they'd no, make the playoffs, right. Ted. Yeah, you're like right. like right now, the Wings still don't have a player in the top 30 in scoring. Um, Dylan Larkin is ranked 31st. He's tied with players like Austin Matthews and Alexander and yet, aren't Barkov. They're averaging about almost four goals a game. I think They're averaging almost four goals a game. Some, yeah. And Ted, I don't know if it's too early to talk about Steve Eisenman as a potential candidate for GM of the year, but like last year, they added Sherratt, Mata, Kopp, and Perron, so four real pros. And then he goes out and gets Petrie and Gostas Bear back on defense. Comfer, of course, who wasn't in the uh, who wasn't in the lineup the other night and was missed. To break it, he paid a first round draft pick for, so he brought him in. You had Sprong and Fisher, Costin, and then two goalies, Lyon. And Reimer, I know Don Sweeney in Boston and Jim Nail is always a candidate in Dallas. It's a terrific formula for success. It really is. I mean, he just he did he followed that Seattle formula and just created a roster full of quality NHL players. Maybe not superstars, but right, right. They just come at you wave after wave. And in contrast, and in the Dave Poulin interview, we talked about a team, and I mentioned this before about the Sabers with Kevin Adams, they haven't made the playoffs in 12 years and they only added Johnson and Clifton back on the blue line. And it's not enough depth. And it's one thing to say our players, our young players are going to do okay. But if you had Bergeron and Edvinson up here and they were struggling and you're still losing, but you're saying, well, we're going to be not okay. be 15 and seven right now. Well, they may it, not be 15 and seven. Exactly. There's no way. And, and I've talked to so many different scouts up in the press box and the and what Eisenman has done is just so many professional players who know how to play. When you take you know a Sherratt and Petrie together, and then Mata, and then you have Cider and goaltending that's okay, and add some special teams. But anyway, it's just the way he's and and think about it too, Ted. The Red Wings were the only team at the beginning of the year that didn't have either a rookie or a second year player in the lineup. So they've had lousy lottery luck and they really didn't have a choice. They don't have those players that are ready to come up. So this is the next best thing. And there are other GMs who don't build teams the way Steve Eiserman does. And right now, of course, with the, uh, with the wings at 70% odds of making the playoffs with a long, they, they play like they play 12 games in the next 23 days. And then they have that Western road trip, three games in 10 days. And Mark, if- there's another thing to this point. 
two teams that we, well, maybe three teams, four teams that we felt would be above them have not gained any traction whatsoever. Tampa, Tampa looks like they may be aging out of this thing. They they just cannot sustain any win streaks. They mm-hmm. they're they're terrible on the road. Toronto just has not got it going yet, and they've had some key injuries. And you wonder if they have any sort of depth. And then Buffalo and Ottawa, they just have. Everybody was wondering which of the pack, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, would come to the forefront and challenge for a playoff spot. It looks like it's going to be the Red Wings. I mean, Buffalo and Ottawa have been disappointments. They've mm-hmm. just, they've, Ottawa's had some injuries. Buffalo has too, but neither of them have really gained any traction. And lo and behold, like we said, the Wings find themselves in third place right now. And mm-hmm. that's the way you're, it's going. Be interesting to see if they can challenge to win the division by the end of the this season. It'll be interesting to watch. Time now for our interview segment. I mentioned earlier our special guest today is Dave Poulin. Joining us now is Dave Poulin, a former NHLer with the Flyers, Bruins, and Capitals, a former player and coach at Notre Dame, a member of the Maple Leafs front office staff, and now a TSN analyst who can be heard Tuesdays on the NHL Network's Morning Skate and who writes a freelance column for the Toronto Star. Dave, welcome to the podcast. You came into the NHL at the same time as Steve Eiserman from 1983 until 1995, 13 years, and you've watched him the past 13 years building the Lightning and the Red Wings. What was it like playing against Eiserman on the ice? And what do you make, Dave, of what he's done off the ice with this Red Wings team now in year five of the rebuild, currently eight, six, and three after the global series in Sweden. And for the first time this year, they're out of the playoffs by one point in the wild card race behind the lightning and the hurricanes. Well, let's start with Stevie as a player and Mm -hmm. at the same time, but in very different scenarios, I had been four years in college and a year in Europe. So you know, was older than Stevie and I was coming into a very good team in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and, and that actually transitioned after my first year, it went from the old Broad Street Bullies to Bobby Clark retiring and becoming the vice president general manager, not dissimilar what Stevie's done, a great player to a great manager. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a transition point with them, but he came into a Red Wings team that struggled mightily early in his career. And then he had the perfect evolution of growing into a championship team with one organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've watched it closely as a manager, Mark, and in particularly the intrigue in watching the buildup in Detroit and what similarities there are slash were mm-hmm. to what he did in Tampa. He did not have the advantage in Detroit. He inherited, you could argue, you know, Dylan Larkin would be the top player that he inherited in Tampa. He walked in right on the heels of drafting Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. So two potential future Hall of Famers <laughs> were in the bank. And even Stevie's first draft would have been Brett Connolly with the sixth overall pick. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was the depth of some of the players that he chose, but there were missteps along the way. And, and people forget that, you know, they think everything doesn't go perfect in any sort of build. And, you know, even in getting Kucherov when he did, when there was questions about when you were going to take, you know, that the Russian players, how early you were going to take them, when you were going to get them. 
but he gets Kucherov late second round. Well, you know, that would have been a year, you know, there was a year, well, it would have been the Vasilevsky year when he took Slater Cuckoo 10 over 10th overall. Mm -hmm. Vasilevsky didn't go to 19th. But, you know, putting the big goalie in early, as he did with Sebastian Kosa, um, the big defenseman, Simon Edmondson, how can you not compare him to the 6'6 <laughs> defenseman in Tampa? And then stockpiling, you know, those guys and hoping that they develop. And that's the question is, will they develop like the Tampa group developed? One of the keys that I was far too close to in his Tampa buildup mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. the Norfolk team with John Cooper. We lost to them in the Calder Cup finals when I was the general manager of the Marlies. And, you know, when you think of, of Coop with those teams, that was Tyler Johnson. That would have been Panic and Pilot. That would have been a young Alex Kaloran coming out of Harvard. So that was the sort of a thrust in the mm. first iteration of Tampa's, you know, rise to the top. That would have been their trip to the finals, rode that group heavily. Um, when they lost Chicago and then, you know, the second buildup for the cups that Stevie was at his fingerprints all over, but technically Julian Briswell was the general manager. Dave, you watched Marit Sider here in Detroit earlier this month on November the 9th, the Canadians three, two overtime game. Sider led the wings in that game with four hits. He had three shots, three giveaways, including the shorthanded giveaway to Suzuki he blew a tire on the first goal by Matheson, and Caulfield said he used Sider as a screen on the game-winning goal. Clearly, though, he's the best player on the team. Coach Lalonde says he's playing a quiet game, a quietly efficient. He's stopping plays against the other team's top lines. He's the Calder Trophy winner a few years ago. Last year, he set Red Wings records for block shots and hits, but... When do you think he'll get his first vote for the Norris Trophy, Dave? No vote so far in the first two years. A similar player, Rob Blake, who you would have played against, a right-handed shooting defenseman, also 6'4 and 220. It took Rob Blake about eight years to get a vote once the Kings started to win, and then Blake won a Stanley Cup with Colorado in 2001. So is Sider still a few years away from national recognition when the wings really start to contend for the cup again, Dave? He very well may be a few years away, but that doesn't take anything away from his game, who he is or what he is. But if you think of the style of player that is winning that award right now, or mm. in conversation, it's a different type of player. <clears throat> you know, it's an Adam Fox, it's Kale McCarr. Uh, it's a Quinn Hughes, the offensive minded, you know, put up a hundred point Eric Carlson type of defenseman. But if you were going to ask coaches about <laughs> who they'd like to build their defense with, Maurice Sider would be one of the first names you'll get. And I watched him closely uh, up, you know, live and in person this year. I've also done a couple of games um, that he's been a part of. Uh, I did the Swedish game um, against Toronto and I've seen him play a couple of different times. He's physical. He's a pain to play against. Talk to guys who, who they don't like to line up against or who they would look up when they're on the ice and say, okay, I've got to be aware of where he is on the ice. I love his physical play. Mm -hmm. I love his investment in the game. I think he's, he's going to be one of the top defensemen in the game for a number of years, and, and he will get votes. And that's an award. I, I think in all the awards, Mark, you have to be in the conversation before you win the award. 
Okay. You have to be in the top 10. You have to garner votes because of the different people who vote on it. They're not all, all as familiar with him as, you know, I would be in, in the, the, the beauty of, of what I do is I essentially have four home teams because of our regions. I have Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, and Winnipeg that I do a lot of work with those four teams. So I don't just watch one team play. Mm-hmm because of the breadth of those four teams, I get to watch a lot of teams they play against. And I would get to see a cider more than a team would that would just play him twice a year. But he is, he does everything you would ask in a defenseman. If you're building the prototypical defenseman, even from the, you know, the commodity of being the right shot, but the physical play is what separates him from a lot of the names that I mentioned. And the fact that he's extremely hard to play against, and believe me, the players that play against him know that. Dave, the Wings were the only team on opening night without either a rookie or second-year player on the roster. Sider and Raymond are both in their third years. Last year, Eisman added four veterans, Sherratt, Mata, Perron, and Coppin. This year, he added nine new players to Brinkett, Comfer, Petrie, Hall, Gostisbehr, Sprong, Fisher, Reimer, and Lyon, you've been in dressing rooms where losing isn't tolerated. They've won 11 cups here, four during Eiserman's tenure, three as a player, one as an assistant GM, 25 straight playoff years, but it's been seven years out of the playoffs, tying for the longest drought in franchise history. And this isn't like Buffalo with Kevin Adams, the example I use, Dave. They've been out of the playoffs for 12 years in a row. They've added just two defensemen this year, Johnson and Clifton. But essentially, they're losing with the same kids, Darlene Power, Paterka, Cousins, Krebs, Middlestat, Quinn. As a player, Dave, you've been a Selkie Award winner. You've scored 30 goals twice. When you're hearing Lalonde for the first time talk about the team's lack of talent, what are you thinking about when you're one of those players without real top-line talent, but you're out there every game, you're battling for every inch of ice, competing for five-on-five, and it still may not be good enough to make the playoffs? It's a real challenge in in growing a team Mm -hmm. and an organization to find the balance between these two things, because the temptation is to go out and get players, but if I look long-term at the flexibility of the Red Wings situation, they're extremely flexible financially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, In terms of long-term commitments that are out there with contracts that no one would want, they really don't have anything like that. You know, They've invested in the players that can come in and to give someone a one- or two-year contract or even a three-year contract that can help change the culture in the locker room. And that's the big buzzword, obviously, is changing the culture into the culture of winning. You get kids from programs that have won that are used to winning, and and then you have to build around it. But to bring up a David Perron in, that's going to do two things. One, it's going to help you win short term, but it's also going to build a mentality of what a pro looks like mm-hmm. to some of the young players. What are the details of every day? Go to the rink, work, prepare, you know, pay the price, go to the front of the net, all, all those things that David Perron has done so well. The cup pedigree. And, you know, in, in bringing uh, a Ben Sherrod in a little bit different, going to create space in front of my goaltender. I'm going to create space around my star players. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give a little bit of room for a Marit Sider type of defenseman, even, even if he may not be on the ice with him. He's still going to create space back there that, you know, if something, if someone were to take liberties with a Marit Sider, he would, he would have to answer to a Ben Sherrod as well. So, 
there's lots of different components that go into it. But as much as Steve has done that and bring some of these guys in, and some of them a little bit older, later 20s, a JT Comfer and Andrew Kopp, those are the type of character people mm-hmm. that you want to build the foundation of a team around. And Dave, finally, what will it take for the Wings to make the playoffs? And do you have any final thoughts on what Steve Eiserman is building here in Detroit? In the Atlantic, the Bruins have just one loss, a 5-4 loss here in Detroit when they took 12 penalties and allowed two power play goals. The Leafs have won four in a row. The Panthers are 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. They're getting healthy. The Lightning are still the Lightning. And even the Senators have won four straight. And if you look at the 16 teams in the Eastern Conference, only three teams have losing records. The Canadians, Sabres once again, and the Blue Jackets. Now, last year, the Wings, after 57 games, Dave, they were in the playoffs. They beat the Rangers here 4-1 to one on February the 23rd. They were seven games over 500, then lost those two games in Ottawa, won only seven times the rest of the way. So do the Wings have the goaltending with Huso and Reimer and maybe Lyon? They have a decent defensive game under Lalonde and Bob Bugner back behind the bench. I know you talked about the importance of assistant coaches, and there's some balanced scoring. Can they stay in the race and prevent last year's collapse? They can stay in the race. Everybody's waiting for the teams that you mentioned, the Bostons and Tampas and Floridas, to take a step back, and that hasn't happened. And I think that surprised a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Particularly, you know, in Boston, where you lose your number one and two centermen in Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci and don't miss a beat. I mean, that's <laughs> I think that has even surprised Boston, trust me. And, you know, they get a, a 19-year-old Matthew Potra to come up and, and step right in and play. But that's because of what you've built around him and what he's stepping into. And that culture goes back to their cup in 2011 and Chara and Bergeron and and Marshawn and the, and the guys that have maintained that locker room. And, and that's embedded in a new guy that comes in. And that's what you're trying to build. But the, the light comparisons that everyone made, that mm-hmm. would be the playoff spotter, Detroit, Boston, and Ottawa. Those are the teams that seem to be on a similar arc. And I think it's hard not to look at those two teams and say, are you better than those two teams? How do you compare to those two teams? Because if there's one spot available, that's essentially who you're going to be competing with. Montreal, I think, is a little bit behind those three teams. Um, Ottawa, right now, today, is on an upward swing, but talked to me two weeks ago. And, you know, they were wondering what was going on there. So I think you just have to stay in the battle, and that's bringing in guys like JT Confer, you know, who can kill a penalty, who can win a game late in the game, and wait for the Marco Caspers and Simon Edmondsons and and Nate Danielsons to progress and be ready to contribute when they're ready to contribute. And so I don't think I don't think you've changed the structure of what you're looking at going forward. You've bought your younger guys more time with the additions you've made with the hope that you can get there ahead of ahead of all of those guys being the major contributors. So I still think they're on track. Mm-hmm. I think the task is really tough, even for Ottawa, even for Buffalo, because the other teams that we talk about, you're hopeful, you know, with the Florida being without the guys there, without you thought they'd start slow. Tampa, they don't look like they're going away. They're going to get their goaltender back now. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston's not going anywhere. And so those teams that are at the top, 
you know, you can't count them out yet. And you can't be Atlantic. You, you know, it's like it's time to go. It used to be funny when when Bob Clark as a general manager would would bring in a young player. He'd draft a young player and he'd come in and say, well, we think we drafted your replacement. We're really excited. And I just look at it and say, okay, what does that mean? By the way, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so good luck to him and I'll help him in every way he can, but I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Thanks again for your time today talking to us about Steve Eiserman, Moritz Sider, and what it'll take for the Red Wings to get back into the playoffs. Best of luck moving forward, heading into this American Thanksgiving Day weekend. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Mark. Our thanks again to Dave Poulin. Now let's hear from Nick Lidstrom, who was at the Global Series in Stockholm. As a player, he won seven Norris trophies, four Stanley Cups, now as vice president of hockey operations, he's helping Steve Eiserman in this rebuild after making the playoffs for 25 straight years. Well, when Stevie joined uh, the team uh, in 2019, we were in a rebuilding process and we we're just in the beginning of that. Uh, and it's hard to, you know, to develop, find players, first of all, and, and develop players. We were so successful for so many years. We made the playoffs for, I believe, 25 years straight. And you know, when once you got close to the trading deadline, we're looking to add players to to be better. And by by doing that, you have to sacrifice some draft picks. And I think that's why we're doing this rebuild. As as we all know, that you go through cycles like this. But I see us going through that first phase of of, of the rebuild. I think we're taking the next uh, step. I think we're challenging to be a playoff team again. We're we're a better team than last year. I think we have more skill uh, on the team, and I think we're we're taking steps to to become a better team. Uh, and Stevie's got a lot of patience. Uh, he's he did a tremendous job down in Tampa, uh, and I think you see a lot of similarities to to what he's trying to do here with the Wings. Ted Lidstrom says they're a better team than last year. That they have more skill. He also said. They used to add players at the trade deadline to get better, but they had to sacrifice draft picks during those 25 years. Last year at the trade deadline, they traded four players in three days, Bertuzzi, Ronick, Sunquist, and Verona. This year's trade deadline is not for a while, Friday, March the 8th. So, Ted, will they be buyers or sellers? And if they buy, and they probably would be if they're in this position, they have a really strong, thorough team from top to bottom. What do you think they might need, barring any injuries, right now? Oh, Mark, that's too far ahead of time. I mean, they for all the plaudits we just gave them, they could go on a <laughs> five to ten game losing streak in January, and yeah, it all go kerplunk. But uh, let's put it this way: right now, where we they stand, I'd be—I don't think they're going to be sellers at this point. I mean, I, I don't—I expect them to hang around. I really do. I mean, they may not be exactly in this position come february or march there's still a lot of tough teams they haven't faced yet they haven't faced the vegas's edmonton's uh you know they still have winnipeg on the schedule it's like eiserman kind of hinted i I do expect them to hang around i mean i don't think they're gonna and i think we at the beginning of the season i think a lot of people did at least allow that i do think a lot of people felt they were improved enough where they will hang around for a wild card spot Mm-hmm. At the bare minimum, I think they're going to do that this year for sure. And finally, Ted, the goaltending. You have a story in today's paper at DetroitNews.com about Alex Lyon getting the start again tonight. He's won four straight games. 
Billy Huso led in those six goals the other night, and James Reimer hasn't played since November the 16th when mm-hmm. he faced this Ottawa team in tonight during the Global Series. So what do you make of this three-goalie system, and who do you think will step up during these busy times, 12 games in the next 23 days? You'll be in Dallas next week on Monday and then in St. Louis on Tuesday. Well, my friend, I, I think Alex Lyon is a very intriguing figure right now. He's played mm-hmm. very well. Played, I think most people tend to forget he played very well for Florida down the stretch last year and got them into the playoffs, basically, and was the game one and two starter for the Panthers against Boston. I, this guy does have a little bit of a pedigree, not much, but a little bit. and He's only a small sample size, but he's looked good. I think he's mildly wrestled the number one spot out of away from Uso right now, but let's give it another little while, but sure. yeah. he definitely has shown at times in his career, well, more so in the minor pros, that he can be a good goaltender. And heck, that's I, he again, he showed it. He showed very well himself late, late last season with Florida. He may get a bigger chance here this time around and Let's see what happens. Uh, Villa Huso, tell you, Mark, it just ever since the midway point of last season, it just has not, he hasn't looked like, he hasn't looked the same for whatever reason. And let's face it, this season he has given up quite a few goals. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, uh, he gives up three or four goals a night. One of them is usually a very iffy goal. That's kind of tough to come back from. They have been able to overcome it for the most part this year, but. I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you this much. If, there, if, the, if the playoffs started tomorrow, mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be very much of a surprise if Alex Lyon would be your number one goalie at this oh, point. Right. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, well, I, don't I, would, think there's, I don't think there's 100%. any much of an argument really at this point. Absolutely. You're, you're, I am a little surprised James Reimer's kind of become persona non grata, but then and that's part of the whole three goalie system. That's the unfortunate part about that. Well, there's competition, right? And the goal yeah. that he ducked in the uh, the Ottawa winner by Stutzla and the right. penalty against uh, Caulfield and things like you only get so many chances and that's, that's healthy, isn't it, Ted? When you have a, I, it seems like they're pushing each other. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for your time today, Ted. And that'll do it for episode 96 of our Detroit news, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again, everyone for listening, rating and reviewing these podcasts. <laughs>